Uh, the reading today is uh, Revelation chapter 14. Then I looked, and there before me was the Lamb, standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a sound from heaven, like the roar of rushing waters, and like a loud peal of thunder. The sound I heard was like that of harpists playing their harps. And they sang a new song before the throne, and before the four living creatures and the elders. No one could learn the song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. These are those who did not defile themselves with women, for they remained virgins. They followed the lamb wherever he goes. They were purchased from among mankind and offered as first fruits to God and the lamb. No lie was found in their mouths. They are blameless. Then I saw another angel flying in midair, and he had the eternal gospel to proclaim to those who live on the earth, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. He said in a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and the springs of water. A second angel followed and said, Fallen! Fallen is Babylon the great, which made all the nations drink the maddening wine of her adulteries. A third angel followed them and said in a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives its mark on their forehead or on their hand, they too will drink the wine of God's fury, which has been poured full strength into the cup of his wrath. They will be tormented with burning sulphur in the presence of the holy angels and of the Lamb, and the smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever. There will be no rest day or night for those who worship the beast and its image, or for anyone who receives the mark of its name. This calls for patient endurance on the part of the people of God who keep his commands and remain faithful to Jesus. Then I heard a voice from heaven say, Write this, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, they will rest from their labour, for their deeds will follow them. I looked, and there before me was a white cloud, and seated on the cloud was one like a son of man with a crown of gold on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. Then another angel came out of the temple and called in a loud voice to him who was sitting on the cloud, Take your sickle and reap, because the time to reap has come, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. So he who was seated on the cloud swung his sickle over the earth, and the earth was harvested. Another angel came out of the temple in heaven, and he too had a sharp sickle. Still another angel who had charge of the fire came from the altar and called in a loud voice to him who had the sharp sickle, take your sharp sickle and gather the clusters of grapes from the earth's vine because its grapes are ripe. The angel swung his sickle on the earth, gathered its grapes and threw them into the great winepress of God's wrath. 
They were trampled in the winepress outside the city, and blood flowed out of the press, rising as high as the horses' bridles for a distance of 1,600 stadia. Well, I love hearing news of people becoming Christians. Now, there is no better thing in the world to do than to know Jesus and to become a Christian. And the good news is that for the last few weeks, I've been hearing at least one a week of people connected with our church who have repented of their sins and put their trust in Jesus for their eternal security. And inside, I am like, praise the Lord. That is amazing. And that news beats every other news item in the world. I don't care what you read in the Herald or the Telegraph or the Australian or the Daily Mail this morning. That news beats everything. I love that news. I don't love hearing news of people who walk away from Jesus. And over the last few weeks, I've been hearing one a week of someone who was working it out, trying to to work Jesus out and work out what they believed, connected with our church, who's now walked away. And put their eternal security at risk. And that's heavy news. Uh, Of course, almost every Christian I know has felt the pull at some point in time. Uh, We feel the allure that I think is captured in Psalm 73. Let me read to you a few verses from Psalm 73. Uh, From verse 1 it says, Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I'd nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They had no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. And on the psalm goes, in fact, later on he says, they are always free of care. They can do what they like. And sometimes it feels like unbelievers are the ones who are blessed, who are free, who can literally do anything. But in those moments, I call to mind reality. I call to mind the way the world really is and who is really in charge and who we are as people. And perhaps like me, you call to mind all the good reasons that you are a Christian, that you became a Christian, the good reasons that you stay a Christian, why you still turn up here on a Sunday morning. Perhaps like me, you call all those things to mind. And my guess is that if we asked around the congregation this morning, uh, we could come up with dozens of reasons why it is a good idea to stay Christian. And that might be a fun exercise, but it's not for today. Because Revelation 14 asks us to just focus on one reason. One reason, good reason, to stay a Christian. In our passage today, there is one reason why patiently enduring as a Christian is worth it. 
Why sticking with Jesus moment by moment and day by day is worth it. One reason to endure amidst all the temptations. One reason to stand firm, to keep faith, to keep pressing on, to keep living the life that God has called us to. It doesn't sort of supersede all the others, but it's one important one. And so I think this ought to be a really helpful time for us, except for one thing. Revelation 14 captures the very thing that we Christians don't like talking about some christians even hope that what is here in revelation 14 is not true we often avoid talking about it in our mission efforts and i would strongly doubt if any of you have raised the topic of revelation 14 during share life listen our grandparents talked about it but in our day We have a heightened concern about sensibilities and feelings. And so we like to lean away from this. What am I talking about? I'm, I'm talking simply about the judgment of God. The frightening reality of the judgment of God that is laid out in Revelation chapter 14. And it's all laid out there. And then John says, look at me at verse 12. He says, This calls for patient endurance on the part of God's people who keep his commands and remain faithful to Jesus. Then I heard a voice from heaven say, Write this, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. You can see it there, can't you? John shares this vision of the judgment of God to help us understand it and see it and know it. And then he says, now you know what is coming. Stick with Jesus, no matter what. This, this reality of the coming judgment of God calls for patient endurance. This is motivation to persevere because the only way to find eternal blessing, and you might look outside and think those who are outside, Jesus, are blessed in so many ways, but the only way to find eternal blessing, to be rewarded and given joy in eternity and to experience all the richness and the fullness of the grace of God and the rest of eternal life, the only way. Is to die in the Lord. So there are lots of really good reasons to become a Christian and to stay a Christian. But Revelation 14 says, understand and be motivated by the judgment of God. And so that's what we're going to do this morning with the rest of our time. We're going to deepen our understanding of the judgment of God so we can be motivated to patiently endure in the way that this chapter calls us to. And friends, this will not be pleasant. But this is necessary. Well, let's remind ourselves of where we're up to uh, because Revelation 12 to 14, as you might have seen in your growth groups, is uh, sort of one narrative unit that began with this great vision of evil. Uh, We had uh, the dragon 
who is the devil, and with him were two beasts who exercised, it said, all the authority of the dragon. And it sounds very like the Trinity, doesn't it? We have God who has two other beings who are also God, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, who exercise his authority. But in the case of chapter 12 and 13, we have the dragon and his evil trinity that was given power to wage war against God's people and to persuade people from every tribe and nation and language and tongue to ignore God and to worship anything but God. And so this is the spiritual reality that lies behind much of what we see in the world. Lots of people you and I know spend lots of time ignoring God and worshipping anything but God. And Revelation 12 and 13 tells us that behind all those human choices, there is this grand spiritual reality, an evil spiritual power that has people in its grip. So they love the world. And all the created things, rather than the creator. And the most deceptive part of all of these chapters is that one of the beasts is like a lamb. A lamb with a fatal wound that's been healed. Doesn't that sound familiar? Indeed, Satan can even be a Jesus imitator. And so the sum total of chapter 12 and 13 is that we have this evil trinity that is giving off and working towards deceptive, God-like vibes to lure people into its web and destroy them forever. And given the incredible and fiercely powerful nature of the dragon and his cronies, as Revelation 14 opens, the the question looming as you sort of sit in chapter 13 and, and sit in the power of the dragon and his beast and sit in the way that they just lure people away from Jesus, the question as chapter 14 starts, are we sure Jesus really wins are we sure God actually wins in the end and Revelation 14 opens with this answer yes verse 1 and then I looked and there before me was the lamb standing on Mount Zion and with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads It's like we're pointed back to chapter 7 and God's great final victorious conclusion to all things. A time is coming when God will gather all of those who have followed the Lamb, the Lord Jesus. He will gather them all for eternity and amen and amen and amen. The future is secure for those who put their security in the Lord of the future. The future is secure for those who put their security in the Lord Jesus Christ. There is the announcement at the start of chapter 14. Now, of course, that brings another question into our line of vision. What about everyone else? What about all those people who don't put their security in the Lord of the future? The Lord Jesus Christ. Well, that is the rest of chapter 14, beginning with the arrival of three angels each with news for you and me and for everyone upon the earth. And the news the first angel brings is this. It is not too late to trust Jesus. Look with me, verse 6. Then I saw another angel flying in midair, and he had the eternal gospel to proclaim to those who live on earth, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. You see, while the earth is still occupied, while Jesus waits for the final day to arrive, there is good news, eternal 
good news for every single person upon the earth. People can still become Christians even in this very day, the day on which you live and breathe and have your being. And what is the news? Well, verse 7, he said in a loud voice, Fear God, give him glory. Because the hour of his judgment has come, worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and the springs of water. You can avoid the judgment of God by worshipping the maker and not the made, by worshipping the creator and not the creation, by worshipping the one who is over you and who loves you more than you will ever love yourself. The eternal gospel being proclaimed to the world right now is this, at the whole time, the whole time you've been ignoring God, the whole time that you've been building a life for yourself without him, he's been right there, loving you, and he's not stopped loving you, because he does not want anyone to perish, but everyone to come to eternal life and find life in him forever. That's God's goal in the world right now. This is why we do share life, because we're just joining God in what his goal for the world is right now. And so this is an invitation, an invitation for every person through the death and resurrection of Jesus, an invitation perhaps to you this morning, that in this moment, on this day, in this hour, right now, it's not too late to trust Jesus. And if you're here today and you don't yet trust in him, no matter who you are, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, it is not too late. This is the day of salvation. So consider Christ. So that's angel one. And there is another angel. As the second angel speaks, we hear of the foolishness of following anything but God. For the message of the second angel is, the great enemy of God and his people is already defeated. Uh, look at the verse 8. A second angel followed and said, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great, which made all the nations drink the maddening wine of her adulteries. Now, in the Old Testament, Babylon was the last great enemy of Israel who brought great destruction upon them, but who was also destroyed. And so the use of Babylon here to describe all that we've seen, the work of the devil and the dragon and the beasts and the use of the term Babylon here to describe all the powers of the world that all work against God and the things he is doing in the world just symbolizes the last great enemy of God's people. Symbolizes all the devil is doing and all who work with him. And the news, as we've already seen in Revelation time and time and time again, is that he is defeated. His power is already curtailed. And all he can do now is to thrash around like a shark on a hook about to be landed in a boat. He will not have victory. God will. He will not conquer. God will. Evil will not win. God will. But for now... The devil prowls around with the last gasp of breath that he has, drawing others into hell, fighting an impossible battle. Sort of picture him like a World War II soldier who keeps fighting the battle in vain hope, knowing that he and his country have already been defeated. 
And so the message of the second angel is that there is no security to be found outside of Christ. No point clinging to anything outside of Christ. It's already defeated and it will be destroyed. There's no security to be found in the created things. They will all be destroyed. Now I know we don't listen much to English cricketers out here in the colony. But these words from C.T. Studd, who, for those who have ears to hear, played in the Ashes Test in 1882. If that doesn't mean anything to you, he played in an important game. This is what he said in a longer poem. You will have heard part of this, I'm sure. When this bright world would tempt me sore, when Satan would a victory score, when self would seek to have its way, then help me, Lord, with joy to say, only one life will soon be passed and only what's done for Christ will last. Because Babylon has fallen and it's all over for the powers of the world and God will win. And so the third angel, it's not too late to trust Christ. The enemy of God has been defeated and now the third angel rings news of the future of those who don't trust Christ. And the third angel says, those who don't trust Jesus will suffer for eternity. Verse 9. A third angel followed them and said in a loud voice, if anyone worships the beast and its image and receives its mark on their forehead or on their hand, they too will drink the wine of God's fury, which has been poured full strength into the cup of his wrath. They will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever. There will be no rest day. All night for those who worship the beast and its image or for anyone who receives the mark of his name. Are there more difficult words in the Bible to read? God's fury and wrath, God's judgment and hell await all who worship the beast rather than the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, can I say, uh, I want to admit, I, I don't want those words to be true. Because I know and I love so many people who don't yet trust Jesus. And so we have arrived at a moment for a short sort of digression, for a little piece of theological thinking. Now, can, can hell really be the conscious, permanent experience of torment forever. Is that really what God had planned? And, you know, since the late 1980s, when John Stott, who is one of the great evangelical heroes, uh, declared that he could no longer consider hell, uh, but believed that people were annihilated forever instead, uh, this question has rumbled around our churches. Uh, is hell a conscious, permanent experience 
or just complete and total destruction. Now, I'd love to throw my hat in with the annihilationist view, but I just can't go there for lots and lots of reasons. I did contemplate doing this whole sermon, actually, on whether annihilationism or something else is true, but I don't think that's faithful to the passage, actually. The passage takes us to a different place. But, but I want to just show you four reasons just from this passage why I think hell is a conscious, permanent experience for those who don't trust Jesus. And this is important because of John's purpose for us actually understanding this whole text. So four reasons. Number one, I think the first is the language of torment here. You see the language in verse 10. It says uh, in verse 10, they will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and of the Lamb, and the smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever, verse 11. Now can I say the word is always used in the Bible and in other literature outside the Bible to refer to a conscious, ongoing suffering. It is never used to describe anything else. And it's never used to describe any concept of annihilation or the end of something. The concept indeed matches the way Jesus speaks about eternal life in Matthew chapter 25, verse 46, where Jesus contrasts eternal life with eternal punishment. And never is the language of eternal death used in the Bible, which would be the obvious phrase to use if you wanted to actually teach annihilationism, but it's just never used. And so if torment is the language used, that would indicate a permanent conscious state. Secondly, uh, verse 11, the smoke of the torment, it says there at the start of verse 11, the smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever. Uh, smoke, as you know, continues to rise only when there is something burning. And when whatever is being burnt is burnt up, then the smoke stops. This smoke doesn't stop. It rises forever and ever. Number three, there is, uh, back in verse 10 again, the lake of burning sulfur. Uh, verse 10, they too will drink the wine of God's fury, which has been poured full strength into the cup of his wrath. They'll be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and of the Lamb. Now, this is the same lake that Jesus referred to in Matthew 25, again, in verse 41. And the same lake that will consume the devil and his angels in Revelation 20. And across all of those passages, the text consistently says that those who find themselves in this lake find themselves in a punishment forever and ever. It doesn't consume. It just wreaks punishment forever. And then fourth... The rest, the rest that is promised to believers in verse 13, and did you see that there? It said they will rest in verse 13 from their labour, is contrasted with a lack of rest in verse 11. Verse 11, there will be no rest, day or night, for those who worship the beast and its image. And I ask myself, how can there be no rest if you are annihilated and no longer exist? That would be permanent rest or non-existence. So that's just four reasons from this passage. It could take you to dozens of others. 
And I know there'll be some people here who want to debate the point, and please come and let's debate the point. But on this we can agree. A moment is coming when Jesus will return and some will be taken to eternal life and some will be taken to eternal punishment. And indeed, the back third of Revelation 14 describes the moment. Did you notice the two harvests there in the back end of Revelation 14? One is the harvest we want to see. One is the harvest we spoke about last week when we launched our MTS appeal. One is the harvest that Jesus speaks about when he says the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And the harvest of the Lord Jesus is the harvest where he comes and takes all who want to trust you, all who had trusted in him, to be with him. That's the harvest we do want to see. That's the harvest we are praying for. But there is a harvest we do not want to see. And that's verse 17. Another angel came out of the temple in heaven, and he too had a sharp sickle. Still another angel who had charge of the fire came from the altar and called in a loud voice to him who had the sharp sickle, take your sharp sickle and gather the clusters of grapes from the earth's vine because the grapes are ripe. The angel swung his sickle on the earth, gathered its grapes and threw them into the great winepress of God's wrath. And they were trampled in the winepress outside the city and blood flowed out of the press rising as high as a horse's bridle for a distance of about 300 kilometres. That is symbolically the blood of all of those who don't trust Christ on the final day. It's a picture of a thorough and almighty power being brought down upon all those who don't trust Christ a power that will bring destruction eternally, a devastating power, and it's a devastating picture. Because the blood that flows there is the blood of some of my family. That's the blood of so many I have loved and love. That's the blood of so many you love and will love. And I don't know anyone who I want to have come under this sort of judgment. And certainly nor do I want to come under it. But a moment is coming when Jesus will return and take some to eternal life and some to eternal punishment. This calls for patient endurance. Keep going with Jesus. This calls for patient endurance on on the part of the people of God who keep his commands and remain faithful to Jesus. Then I heard a voice from heaven say, write this, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, they will rest from their labor and their deeds will follow them. Do you know the long and dull and monotonous years of middle-aged prosperity, of which many of you are a part of, 
are really the same as the dull and long and monotonous years of middle-aged adversity, of which certainly some of you are a part of. All of that is excellent campaigning weather for the devil. But I tell you, no one I know wants to join him and experience that. And so this becomes motivation that you might patiently endure. Keep trusting Christ and never, never, never let go. Amen.